Welcome to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast, featuring leadership author and podcaster, Carrie Newhoff, and Barna President, David Kinneman. This podcast delivers unprecedented insights every week into how church leaders are navigating constant change in an era of disruption and discusses new digital tools to help you stay connected in real time to the people in your church. And now, your hosts, Carrie Newhoff and David Kinneman. Welcome to Church Pulse Weekly. It's Carrie Newhoff here, joined by David Kinneman, Barnum President. Hello, David. Hey, Carrie. How's it going? Good, good. It's uh, fresh air, sunshine, bike rides, and summer. So I'm in heaven. I don't what know. What could man. possibly go wrong? <laughs> My favorite. <laughs> well, a backyard renovation project that instead of taking three weeks is taking three months. But other than that, those are, that's not the worst thing ever, right? Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Summer in Canada. We were talking in one of our previous episodes about uh, sort of what's my favorite season. And uh, you said your favorite season is summer. I suppose that's, is that true for most Canadians, I think? Yeah, it's interesting. There are, I have a son who loves winter, although he may have flipped to summer. Like winter when it's nice is really nice. Um, yeah. You know, not when it's gray and rainy, but, you know, you get blue blue skies, crisp snow. It's actually, it's actually quite nice. We get all four seasons, which is great. The stereotype is there's no summer in Canada, but... It's glorious, actually. We don't get the sweltering heat that just crushes so much of America. It's just beautiful, short sleeves, beach, like perfect weather. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, well, we have four seasons in California, uh, which is uh, pretty nice weather, very nice weather, awesome weather, and pretty nice weather. That's pretty good. I maybe maybe I should move, David. Maybe, maybe I really should. I've always loved where you live. So hey, that's not what we're talking about. We are talking about next gen ministry, and so um, really excited. We've got Shane Sanchez who's back. We'll introduce him in a minute. Also, Allison Lehman, who is joining us from Preston Trail. Uh, two people who have been leading through the pandemic. Um, so tell us a little bit about the data that you are looking at to give church leaders sort of just a, a sense of where we're at right now on this whole thing? Well, as we're emphasizing next-gen ministry, uh, we want to start with a couple of key data points. Um, one is that coming out of the pandemic, we just finished a big poll among U.S. adults uh, focusing on the top concerns that parents have for their own children. And uh, social media and screen time, out of all the various things, uh, including things beyond just technology, but, but screen time, social media use rose to the top. There are some of the most concerning aspects of raising children today. 82% of U.S. adults said that they were very concerned about the influence of social media on their child or children. 81% reported being concerned about the amount of time their children are spending on, on screens. And so, you know, especially coming out of the pandemic, I think parents will be grateful to be uh, in a more normal motion in most places going, you know, sending their kids back to school or, you know, not having to rely as much on screen-based learning. Uh, but I think navigating these boundaries uh, will be really interesting. And in addition, I think there'll be some interesting sort of uh, sort of snapback uh, where where even young people are sort of like zoomed out. They're, they're like ready mm. for, you know, in-person interactions. So how can the church sort of step into that moment? Uh, where young people might see some of the false promises of screens and, you know, how can we actually help them understand what it means to be tech wise, to be, um, you know, sort of discipled in this digital moment. And so I think there's great opportunities for local church leaders as well. Well, I think it's interesting because, you know, I've heard that zoomed outline a lot, but I wonder if there's a difference between the things you have to do by zoom and the things you want to do on your own. Like I agree. Right. Uh, I have a good friend who's a pediatrician and he said, 
you know, by every indicator, um, screen learning for kids is a disaster. Like it's just not a good idea. Right. We had to do it, but ideally, it's it's not the way we're wired or designed. Um, but but screens are kind of here to stay too. So I often think about it on things I have to do and things I want to do. So after a day of like no more Zoom meetings to, oh, I want to see what's happening on the Tour de France. I think I'll catch up on the highlights, which is <laughs> online, but then it's like voluntary, right? right. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you're looking at something else too, David. Yeah. Another data point from our uh, Gen Z volume too. We've had a chance of working with a, a really great group uh, called Impact 360 on a couple of, of volumes related to Gen Z. One was released in uh, 2018 and then one uh, about a year ago. Uh, volume two. And in volume two, we looked at uh, Generation Z's own self-perceptions about screen time. Like what are, what are teenagers and young adults, very, very young adults saying about their own perceptions of their generation's screen use. And 60% of teens and young adults um, said they think that their generation spends too much time on screens. And over half of teens and young adults, uh, 53%, said they felt per personally bad about their own amount of screen usage. Um, and so there is, I think, a, uh, and of course, that, that also means that, that some teens don't feel um, that, they're, that their generation or that they themselves are using too much screen, uh, screen time. Um, so there's a range of perceptions there, but I think it does tell us that generally young people sense that screens and social media have some of this disconnecting, you know, sort of disassociating uh, effect. And um, again, I think it represents just another great opportunity for discipleship in this moment. Well, I'm excited to have Shane and Allison with us. Um, Shane Sanchez is the Inside Out High School Ministry Leader at uh, Gwinnett Church in Georgia, and Allison Lehman is the Next Gen Pastor. She oversees birth right through high school at Preston Trail Community Church outside of Dallas, Texas. So why don't we welcome them into the conversation, Allison and Shane. I've actually been to both of your churches and have such high regard for them, so welcome. Really glad to have you and to have you back, Shane. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you, Gary. We're excited to be here. Well, it's been a year, to say the least, right? I'd love to start with your reflections on a year of disruption in education. Um, you know, as David's hinted at, we've had Zoom, isolation, return to school, screen learning, and its impact. What have you seen it doing to kids, to teens, and to parents? Why don't we start with you, Allison? You know, I mean, I think you guys are touching on so much of it already, right? There's this, we're zoomed out, but I do think there's a difference, just like you said, in like what you have to do versus what you want to do. Um, but what I'm, what I love about this COVID season is I feel like it's put us all on a level playing field because I feel like for a long time, um, maybe what kids and students have been going through felt um, so far off. But now I think parents and church leaders, like we're all on the same page, right? No longer is it just church leaders saying, you know, relationships and connection matter, but parents have seen that kids and students are starting to see that. I think the fact that they're recognizing that 60% said it's too much, like that's what excites me. Um, although this season has been hard, I'm excited that maybe we're all on a little bit of the same playing field in terms of what we need in order to continue to move forward. What did you see in terms of parents? Because I know you very intentionally engage parents. You follow the orange strategy at Preston Trail. So what were you hearing from parents? And then I, I want to hear from Shane about uh, teens and what's going on there. You know, from parents, I think um, a very open-handed posture of 
willing, you know, to let the church come alongside them, um, willing to listen. Um, one thing that we kind of learned is we've, we've had this whole parent lab strategy at Preston Trail, and we were doing everything in person because that's all we knew pre-COVID, but then moving everything to digital, you know, we're getting, you know, literally 800, 900% of the people that we were getting um, in person. And so our, our parents have proven to be hungry and, you know, the digital lens of discipleship. Now you are able to access voices and people that you'd be paying a lot more money for them to fly across the country. But now the fees are different when you can have a Zoom conversation for parents. And so um, it, it's been, I, I think I'm more excited perhaps and a little bit optimistic about what COVID has done for ministry. Uh, well, I recognize for our families and for myself, that it's been extremely challenging as well. But as a pastor, I'm mm. excited about what God can do. Shane, how about you? What are you seeing? Yeah. Um, well, I'll just say first, Preston Trail, some, I've seen some of the stuff y'all do for parents and it's incredible. So um, if anybody's looking for a great place um, to, to watch, you all are definitely one. Um, and I would say for us, one of the things that we've experienced is what David hit on. I think that there is some of that snapback happening with teenagers of desiring that in-person connection. It's it's both rhetorical, but I know there's data to show that as well. Um, students, they want to be face-to-face. And what's interesting to Allison's point is that I've felt parents leaning into that differently than they did before COVID. Um, I, I feel like I've gotten more emails and had more conversations with parents that are going, hey, my student needs this, or hey, how can they get connected? Or hey, they haven't heard from their small group in a while. And and it's the parent who's stepping up and going, they need that in their life. So um, that has been one of the biggest things for, for me and for us personally, is seeing parents I think maybe more engaged and more interested in what's happening in the life of their child in the life and in connection to the local church, um, which is a huge moment. And I think a huge opportunity that we have to leverage or um, we're, we're going to miss something really big. So rather than, oh boy, who's going to drop the kids off at student ministry this weekend? It's like, oh, let's drop the kids off at student yeah. ministry. You're seeing that kind of shift. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we uh, we did something. I was really concerned about this, so I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you this. But um, we did a drive-through for new freshmen last year, and the the face-to-face parent engagement. I mean, it was a hundred percent. Everybody who was there got to engage with a small group leader and a parent. And this year, we were going, "Hey, let's let's try to keep that type of engagement, but invite parents out of the car." And I was skeptical because I'm like, traditionally, they're not going to want to be apart. They're going to want to park and drop their student off and leave. And they got out of their cars and they stayed longer than we wanted them to. Actually, I actually had to go, hey, it's been amazing to have you all. But now the rest of the night is for your student. But that's such a win. They they want to know what's going on. I think they probably recognize even more so now the importance of their student be connect, being connected to a small group in a local church. Um, and I have seen a, a fervor and an energy from parents that I, I don't know that I've seen up until this point, which is really exciting. Okay. What did you learn about digital discipleship? Uh, over the last year. And you can take that from the kid's perspective or the parent, you know, trying to come alongside uh, parents. What'd you learn, Allison, about digital discipleship? Man, you know, there's so many, so many things I feel like I've learned Um, just, you know, on on the personal side of it. And we've been hearing this for years, right? But it's, you know, we've been calling it an internally in our circles on staff. It's not just social media anymore. It's social ministry. And that's not just your, you know, your student ministry brand or your kids ministry brand, or your church brand, it's, it's personal because people follow people. They don't follow a brand. Like they want to know how does Shane living his walk in his faith and how Carrie is right. Like, 
they want to see real life faith in action. And so I think that that's, it's changed my conversations with my staff. It's changed my expectations of staff. Um, so I've seen a huge shift in that. Um, and just a huge shift shift of where people are being discipled. I think that may be one of the biggest gaps I saw in COVID is that kids and students, like they, they are being discipled somewhere. Most of it is digitally. Um, the question is, is it going to be discipled by the church or not? Like, is the church going to engage them there? And so I think I've just seen a shift in terms of like an awareness of, oh, this is where they're being discipled. This is where they're learning, you know, how to find cultural context of scripture, whether you're engaging in that conversation or not. And so I think that there's there's a shift that I know we will have to make that we will we have not yet um, in terms of really reaching students where they actually are. So I'm excited and nervous and humbled to figure that one out. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that wholly. Um, I think what this past year has forced us to confront is the reality that digital ministry is critical. It's critical and mm-hmm. we're late to the party. So for me, I think one of the things um, that has been a mind shift for me, a mindset shift for me is that um, I have to admit the fact that I don't know how to do this. Well, in fact, like I'm I'm 31 years old and um, I like to think I'm tech savvy, but the reality is compared to the college students of today and the teenagers of today, I'm not. I mean, I was I was with a, a group in Texas last week and they introduced me to a brand new social media app that they'd all been on for a while. And I'm like, what is happening to me? Like I'm having that moment as a student pastor of like, I have not been cool for a long time. Um, so I think that's an important piece to this digital ministry thing that for me, I'm going, Hey, I don't know how to do this. Well, I don't have all the answers and I need to make sure that I'm inviting in the people who do. Um, so, so that's been a big thing to go, Hey, I I'm not going to be able to just figure out social media on my own. Um, I'm not going to be able to come up with a great YouTube strategy, you know, just out of my own heart and mind, because that's not how I grew up. So we need to invite teenagers. We need to invite students into that process. I think college students, um, might be some of the best leaders in that space right now. Um, and that's been something that is, to Allison's point, it's it's humbling, but it's really, really exciting. And I think if we get this right, we have the potential to leverage digital ministry to help students embrace and live out an everyday faith, um, which is one of the most important lessons that, that I think we learned uh, through COVID of just how important that is. So if I if I hear you right, it's sort of that that binary non-binary thing where it's it's not digital or in person. Am I right in hearing you as saying it's both? You're saying we need digital discipleship, we need in-person discipleship. I just want to clarify that because that does seem to be uh, a big point of conversation in the wider church in 2021. What's your take on that? Both? I definitely think it's both and and I get passionate about it because I see it. I see it every day. And like Shane, like it is very humbling to be in your, you know, early thirties and to feel too old and to recognize like this is going to take a different generation in order to reach this next generation. And um, so we get to give ministry away again, which is part of why I love it. But I think it's a both and it's both and because, um, and I don't think it's just, you know, weekend services. Like I think people don't go to, you know, social media for online content, a worship service, but they do go online to do their research. Um, and in every hot topic lately, I'm talking with our senior pastors lately about how, you know, our students are going online to figure out, you know, there's this hot topic issue. They're hearing about it all the time, wherever they go in social media and social media is teaching them how to do exegesis and hermeneutics and all these things that you learn in seminary, but they're teaching them maybe with um, a little bit less education and a little bit less like knowledge. And so it gets funky, it gets messy. So if we're not addressing things, if we're not there, 
I'm not concerned that students are on social media. I'm concerned that we as a church haven't fully leaned in there and we're not a voice there. So I think it's going to have to be both and not just weekend services, but really meeting them where they're at because they do their research online. Yeah, I agree. I think there's some aspects of what you're saying that that are absolutely terrifying sometimes. Uh, and, and it's not to pass judgment, but I, I mean, sometimes you go and you see a TikTok or a reel or whatever else and you're like, oh, no, 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 no. That's that's not good theology. Like that is not something that a, a student needs to grab hold of and go, yeah, that's what Jesus meant. Um, and, and not that we have everything figured out, but I think that's why we need to be in the space. And it's not, again, it's not to be a voice of judgment or um, to tear down somebody whose I believe intentions are really good and trying to help people, but to hopefully help course correct and help guide and direct and um, be a voice that is pointing students in the right direction. I mean, the intention economy is massive. And for us to go, okay, we know our students are there. Why aren't we dripping things into that space that grabs their attention for a moment and reorients it toward the things that are most important? I think that's the opportunity that we have. So it is both and, because I don't think it's a replacement for in-person face-to-face connections, but at the same time, um, there are so many distractions out there and we don't want to perpetuate those distractions, but for us to be absent from that, 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 um, that place and that space is such a missed opportunity to redirect them to the things that matter most. Shane, something you said there uh, really clicks for me because I've been uh, thinking about this for a few years, uh, what I call the gospel according to YouTube or the gospel according to TikTok. Um, I see it in my own for- support sort of family and extended family with my kids and nephews and nieces and their friends, uh, which is the sort of reality distortion field of social media. And uh, uh, this is a, it's a funny little anecdote, but one of my nieces was was convinced that Helen Keller was a was like, how could you be both de- deaf and blind and and you know really be the kind of leader? So it's like you know, like this idea of like, is, is historical fact actually uh, up for grabs now in, in ways that, you know, <laughs> wouldn't, have, wouldn't have had had happened before. Uh, and, and maybe there's like reason, reasonable uh, ways to think through some of those things, actually not, not Helen Keller's, the veracity of her story. But I'm wondering what you guys are, are seeing and learning about trying to help kind of ground students in, in reality. How do you, how do you, combat that, deal with it, redirect it. I mean, you're sort of alluding a little bit to that, but are you experiencing that idea of sort of the gospel according to TikTok or YouTube or whatever social media platform uh, we could think of? And then what are you doing to redirect it? Yeah, David, I've I've had that same conversation. Uh, students, I remember one day we were setting something up for an event or doing something like that. We had some students in and they brought up that same thing. And I was like, yeah. What you're questioning the 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 factual evidence of Helen Keller? Like what is going on? But it's the reality. I think uh, you know, in the era of fake news, in the era of um, I, I think a lot of um, mistrust when it comes to um, how we receive our information and our facts, that is a unique um, hurdle for us in the local church. Uh, that's one of the things that I'm really grateful for in, um, our, our senior pastor, uh, had some content. He wrote a book called irresistible, um, that actually roots what we believe in the evidence of the resurrection. And for, for me, I'm going, gosh, if we can point students in that direction, if we can help them understand that, that our faith is not in something ethereal or in facts to be debated, but our faith is in an event that took place 2000 years ago um, when Jesus died and rose again. Um, I think that's the foundation. We have to keep laying time and time again. And it's not that we won't get into the nuanced conversations because I think those things are important, but unless we can root um, um, faith in those things, 
we're always going to get caught up and confused by, by the other topics. So for me, I'm like, what is the foundation that we're laying and helping students lay and then building from there? So it's almost going back to, it, it sounds funny, but back to the fundamentals and back to the basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Yeah. Definitely seeing that. And I think like part of that comes the connectivity, right? The empathy, um, just in terms of like my worldview can seem like only my worldview and whoever you follow on social media, you know, the algorithms learn who you, which way you lean on certain things and your feed is suddenly populated with things that all agree with you. Um, my husband and I have a little bit different beliefs and we're populated with different things and we kind of crack up about that. Um, but so creating spaces for conversation um, to create empathy, like I'm finding that that's a, a key component to this, um, keeping the basics, like Shane said, and also that, that connectivity, it's always going to be connectivity and connection over content. And so, you know, small groups, the heartbeat of, of ministry for kids and for students, like they are more important than ever before. Digital discipleship is here to stay. Yes. And like actual connectivity and connection creates the empathy um, to broaden past, you know, one belief on any certain topic. And so I'm seeing that kind of in parallel with what Shane's saying. So good. Funny how information spreads quickly, but I think misinformation spreads faster. <laughs> and I hadn't heard of the Helen Keller thing. I'm sure it's some meme that's being passed around, right? Well, it also, yeah. Carrie, it, it, it was interesting to me because it's like, if we can get people to doubt something like Helen Keller, which again, it's, it just, it feels like such a strange thing, but it almost feels like these social experiments, like someone must have said, said one day, let's see, like, what's a popular story, you know, and like, let's, uh, you know, we figure out debunk. if we can, yeah, right. Yeah. And it almost feels like some sort of social game, right? Like someone's just trying to come up with things just to punk, you know, parents. Uh, but anyhow, um, it just, it, to me, it's like it, it, this idea and Shane, you alluded to it. I feel like we, we, we see this in the Gen Z data and so many other pieces of research that this generation wants to think about the plausibility of faith and like my son, one of his favorite shows when he was growing up, uh, he's uh, just a few weeks from being 17 now, Zach, uh, Mythbusters. He loved that show. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like we need like a Mythbusters mentality to our, our, our teaching, which is like, what is the plausibility of, you know, Jonah and the whale? And uh, you know, what's the plausibility of some of these stories and how do they, how do they work? And it's not like we have to have like a scientific evidence for that, because I actually think that could go the opposite direction where you try to get to, you know, and this is this, and that is that. But, but I think this gospel, according to YouTube, just you know, my, my little, my little uh, insert into this interview is like how important that is, especially now that we see, you know, the the pandemic disrupt a lot of those sort of in person moments where the relational bonds are going to be so strong. It's just like, yeah, I don't want to be a part of this community. Now we have to work even harder for good reason at sort of the intellectual, like the heart, mind, body, and soul uh, aspects of discipleship. Well, you know, just last editorial comment before we get hyper-practical, but, you know, this has been a problem for generations. I mean, I remember even in the 80s and 90s, there was the whole Q thing, not Q ideas, Q anon, just they called it Q. Um, there was this whole group, this Jesus seminar that questioned the existence of the historical Jesus based on this missing document from the New Testament, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, even 30 years ago, it wasn't uncommon to have someone say, well, I don't believe Jesus actually even physically existed, which you could then say, actually, according to Josephus, according to other ancient manuscripts, independent things, and most reasonably people would be, oh, yeah, okay, so Jesus actually existed. Was he the son of God? Well, there's a real conversation, right? 
But now I can, I can imagine it's even weirder because people are manufacturing their own facts and you're trying to reason with kids who don't even have an orthodoxy to walk away from. So fascinating. Okay, let's get practical. What did you try? Not that this isn't good. This is fascinating. I could spend an hour on it. Uh, what did you try during the pandemic that worked and that you're going to keep doing? And then we're going to ask the second thing, what didn't work? What did you stop doing? So what did you what did you start or what did you twist to make it better that you're going to keep doing? So for us, um, we, we really aimed at trying to have a lot of fun when we were in person, um, which sounds so simple and it, and it, you know, it, it almost sounds overly simplistic, but I think um, that's just one of the things that the church can uniquely deliver on for students in a way that no one else can. Um, you, you know, when they go to school where they spend most of their life, there are aspects of it that are fun, but I don't know that, <laughs> that a teenager is going to be like, that's the most fun place that I spend my time. Um, but I think as a local church, we have the unique resources, the unique space, the unique time and the attention of students to be able to create environments for them and do fun things for them um, that, that deliver on something they don't experience elsewhere. I've heard um, uh, a friend and a, a mentor of mine um, explain it this way, that most places teenagers go, they are not welcomed and they're not wanted. When they walk into Starbucks, no offense to anybody who loves Starbucks, but when they walk into Starbucks, the, the barista behind the counter goes, oh no, this is like 12 Frappuccinos I have to make. Like what in the world? I don't want to do this. Um, and that's their experience. I mean, that is the teenage experience in most of uh, the places that they go. But now when they come to a local church to create an environment that is fun and does even like outlandish things for them, and they can walk away and whether they're consciously or subconsciously going, wow, like you all did that for me. I think that makes a world of difference. So in COVID, we were forced to innovate that way because we didn't have our own spaces and the lights and the stages, and we had to do things outside and make it exciting. And now post COVID, we're thinking more in that, in that framework. It's, it's carried to something that you say often. It's like, Hey, what can we do that isn't downloadable? Like how can we get away from the downloadable experience and create really fun environments for students to just be students that they can't get elsewhere? Love I love it. that. I think it's like, it's the organic, right? Like I would say that's what we learned and tried that we would keep. It's just the organic nature of ministry. You know, we had more small group leaders actually partnering with parents because they literally could not come to our building. So it's, you know, hey, parents, who's willing to host a pool party this week? And you see a parent actually respond. Whereas we tried this a couple of years ago, kind of like the room mom thing, like let's get parent mom, you know, people for small groups. It didn't work, but in the middle of COVID, it did because they, we literally didn't have a building. So the organic nature of a church's people and not a building, like, I don't want to lose that, that heart. And obviously we'll use our building and we're thankful to be in it again, but that, that's a heart I don't want to forget. Anything you tried that didn't work that you're like, well, <laughs> nice try. We're going to put that one away. <laughs> Anything like that? Uh, yeah, for us, it, it really was, um, it was, it was trying to treat digital small groups as a, an actual substitute for in-person small groups. Like mm -hmm. it, it can work. I think one of the most powerful stories that I have is we had a, a girl in our high school ministry who was on a fishing boat out off the coast of Florida and was able to like zoom in and connect and, and be a part of programming and, and that whole thing. And that is a, a beautiful reason to use it. But when you're all sitting in the same town and you just can't be face to face, it's really, really difficult to use that as a legitimate substitute. So, um, you know, I think early on, we're like, maybe this is the future. Maybe this is just what we do. I think you have to be really strategic with it. But again, it's one of those things where I'm like, 
I just don't know that that's going to be the the way to engage students. If you can have them together face to face, you got to go in that direction. I actually feel better hearing you say that, Shane, because that's what I had written down was like our small groups online. It did not work. And I think there's a difference in like an online campus versus like trying to force like groups to be online. And so we've actually kind of had to let our we, we had we had early childhood small groups online, elementary and middle and high. Like we did the whole thing. And we've had to let them all die and we will rebuild them for our online campus people. Like whoever truly is a part of our online campus or in different states. But in terms of like our local North Texas community, trying to make that work didn't, did not work. So I feel better knowing it didn't work for you too. <laughs> One of the things we've seen in the research with Gen Z is that they're uh, highly ambitious, very uh, sort of career oriented, even at an early age. Uh, they they want to make a difference in the world uh, like millennials. Um, like everyone really, but, but this aspiration to sort of change the world. And I'm wondering uh, if there's any aspect of what you're trying to do with, uh, with student ministry and teen ministry, that's vocational in nature. And if so, what are you trying? Mm. That's really good, David. Um, that's a, that's a great question. I think the, the thing that is top of mind for us right now is that we are beginning to talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus in a way that extends beyond their four years of high school. So even to the point that you just said, um, we're, we're, we're talking about things and building tensions around, Hey, maybe it's a future aspiration that you have, or maybe if you someday think you, if if you achieve this career, it's going to result in you winning at life or whatever and talking, expanding beyond just like, okay, in the halls of your high school and then redirecting and going, Hey, um, who Jesus is and what it means to actually walk with him impacts every single area of your life. I mean, even saying things um, um, to students like, if this faith thing that you're a part of right now, or this church thing that you're a part of right now is going to last beyond high school, then you have to see it as an aspect and not an aspect, but as the thing that permeates everything that you do and everything that you are. So I think it's even just talking about things that way, which I I wish I could say was intentional based off of um, what you just said, but some of it has just been, gosh, when we couldn't have them in a room every single week, that's the only way you have to talk about it. And it feels like moving forward, it's the way we should. Right. Good. I, I wish I had a, a, a better answer for your question, but it does remind me like, you know, we, we would say we've been a part of like kind of a come and see model, like come and see um, and really realizing that our people now that are coming, like they're are already somewhere on the faith pathway, even if it's still asking questions. And so realizing like in our brains, we're moving more to a a grow and go. And so really getting that go and getting that missional, you know, New Testament church vibe back. um, We're really trying to reclaim that. How do we become a movement? How do we, how do we go into our communities? And like we historically have not done a great job of that. It's been a very come and see model. And so I think if it impacts their vocation, if they work for a church or whatever their vocations, I hope that we're raising a generation now that would see that church our people on a mission that they're going. And I hope that that would be different as a result of COVID. Yeah, cool. Thanks for that, guys. On that note, um, <clears throat> we've asked a lot of, you know, senior pastors this question and the answer varies, but are you seeing now that things are relatively open, the same number of kids, the same number of students you saw before? You say they're anxious to get back in person. Some of the digital stuff didn't work, which makes sense. Yeah, if you're all sitting in the same neighborhood and you can't be in the same room, that 100% makes sense versus, you know, 
some student you've reached in the UK or whatever. But when they're coming back, are you seeing a decrease in the students coming back? Are you seeing growth? Are you seeing you're just picking up where you left off? What are you seeing in terms of trends in your ministry? Allison, what are you seeing at Preston Trail? Yeah, you know, we're about 80% of what we were pre-COVID, um, but it's interesting. It's a little bit, it's a different 80%. And, and I, I've not mm. run the numbers, but if I were to guess, I would say 50% of it was who was coming before. Um, and and I don't know if it's normal. I think it's at least normal in North Texas. We had a lot of um, church turnover just in terms of how each church handled all the political um, different facets of things over the last year. And so there was a lot of turnover. Um, and like, you know, that was hard on me as a relational leader. Um, so I would say about 50% of that is the same. And then about 30% of it is this whole new population. Some from other churches, which is not my favorite way to grow, but we're glad to have them. And then some is also just new people that found us online. So that, that's that been a weird dynamic. It's like our church changed, um, but we didn't know about it because we didn't see them for a year. Um, and, and in terms of kids and students, you know, gosh, the, the, the numbers change week to week. And I even noticed on our scorecard, we look at weekly, it was elementary that stood out so much. It was like one week we had 350 elementary schoolers. The next week we had 500, like that was 150 swing in the matter of two weeks. I'm like, how did, how do you plan for that? Like this is, it, it's swinging. The numbers are changing so differently than they were um, before COVID. And I think that maybe people's attendance patterns have changed. And so I want to figure out how to lean into that and not away from it. But I'm definitely seeing some changes in patterns, even though 80% is relatively close to where we were. It's different. <laughs> yeah, we we're um, we're experiencing less. If you're looking at pre-COVID um, numbers, we're anywhere to Allison's point. It, it fluctuates week to week, but we're anywhere from 50 to 70% of where we were pre-COVID. Um, and that's what's interesting. It's like they they do crave in-person connection, but we have experimented and tried some things off campus. We've done um, some some offsite type things and going, hey, to small group leaders, plan something for your group, go to a park together, play football, grab dinner, and we'll see more students come to those um, than, than even showing up sometimes on Sunday nights, um, which, which is, I, I mean, to me, I'm like, that's a win. You know, they are craving in-person connection. That also tells us that we need to be mindful of what we're doing when they are on campus, um, because maybe that says something <laughs> that we need to reevaluate and and tweak. But um, we're definitely seeing less than pre-COVID. And then I think to, to take that back to where we started in this conversation, to me, that's the importance of digital. We're mm. going, okay, they're out there. They're not out there. We just had a conversation about this with our area um, um, high school directors this morning, but they are definitely out there. So how are we staying connected with them? If they haven't made the leap or their habits have changed and they're like, yeah, I can't make it on Sunday nights anymore. Well, does that mean that their faith just doesn't matter to them anymore? I, I highly doubt that. I think they're probably still looking for guidance, still wondering, still want to connect to a small group leader, a group of people in person. Um, and, and I think that there's a lot of opportunity there. And the last thing I'll say on this is we're seeing new students show up. I mean, just this past Sunday across all of our area campuses, um, our Atlanta area campuses, we saw, I think it was 91 new students. I'm like, there's something going on there. Um, we don't have it figured out yet. <laughs> like That's what we spent time talking about this morning. But there is something students are wanting connection. Um, but I think maybe the way that we first interact with them has to move from assuming they're just going to show up on a Sunday night to actually going and, and stepping into the spaces where they spend their most time. I appreciate how transparent you're being. Uh, ironically, you're making a lot of leaders feel better right now um, because not very few. I've talked to a handful of people who claim to have seen the snapback and now we're beyond where we were. Most churches are somewhere around where you're at. 
And I mean, I know your churches. You guys lead great churches with super sharp, super faithful leaders. And it's just complicated. And so people are coming back, but they're not coming back like they did before. The same people aren't coming back. Some of the people have just disappeared. David, you and I have talked about this on different episodes, but your guess is roughly 20% of churches didn't make it and maybe 20% of the church disappeared over the last year. Like just nominal Christians kind of like tapped out and said, see ya. So it's really confusing right now. Uh, Anything you're going to be doing different heading into the future that you're like, yep, for sure. Here's our strategy. I don't think anyone has a two-year strategy, but maybe a two-month strategy or a a six-month strategy. Anything you're like, yeah, we're going to try this moving forward. I mean, I'll just say our focus with partnering with parents is like we've zoned in more than ever before. And and that's something we've always been passionate about. But, you know, in this season, it's taken taken what was cracks and turned them into gaps. And, um, you know, our, our kids and students have been home with their parents more and, and parents, myself included, like don't know how to foster uh, these discipleship relationships that we know we're called and we're supposed to have, you know, so you can know you're the primary spiritual influencer in your home and not know how to do that on a daily basis between swim lessons and baseball practice and getting dinner made. Right. And so just leaning into that, like we've, I've had more conversations with my senior pastors about here's the topics that students and kids are asking questions on. I can't address these first in student ministry. I'm learning in this day and age, I need to make sure these are addressed in adult ministry before we tackle them in student ministry because of how polarizing things can be like, Let's process that. Let's brainstorm that. Hey, adult discipleship pastor, what group study are you doing? How can we, like, there's been more partnership conversations as we look forward than there ever has been. And it's not been, and I've been probably trying to ask for some of those things, but the timing wasn't right. And so now it's like, okay, the timing is right. Everyone feels it. And so I think, I think partnering with parents is probably where my brain goes that we have to lean into moving forward because we're not going to have the same attendance that we used to. Mm -hmm. So how do we equip the home to be um, better discipler in the home? Mm. That's so good, Allison. Yeah. That's really good. I, I think that's going to be huge for us as well. We're going to try some parent initiatives that we haven't. And um, I also think prioritize them in a new way. So that's really big for us. I think um, another thing when it comes to students is everything has to be about an everyday faith. Like that is the key. I, I, um, um, I, th- there's a story that um, one of our students, she's one of our, our most bought in students, interned with us uh, during her senior year. And I'll never forget um, being in an environment with her and we were just debriefing, um, an event we had just did or something like that. And, um, she just opened up and got emotional and said, as soon as the Sunday night thing was gone, I had no idea what to do when it came to my faith. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was, that was a convicting moment mm-hmm. that I'm going, oh my gosh, if your entire faith and walk with Jesus is connected to two hours on a Sunday night, oh, how have we failed? Um, this just can't be what it's about. So now to go, Hey, everything we do from digital discipleship to in-person things, it is about an everyday faith, which I think then again, goes back to the small group. That's one of the things that I don't think is changing. Small groups are important. In fact, I would say a small group leader is far more important than a large group personality every single day of the week. Um, it cannot just be about great personalities on stage 
awesome hour-long programming and expecting that that is going to do the discipling and the disciple making that is um, really, we were commissioned for at the outset of this whole Christian movement. Um, so I'm going, it has to be about everyday faith. It has to be about equipping, equipping small group leaders um, to help students embody that and live that out day by day. Um, and then when we're programming and we're doing things, um, it needs to point in that direction so that it's so much bigger than just a Sunday night event. You know what I'm starting to see, um, and this brings together a lot of what we've talked about, even in adult world, it's that what you said, Allison, it's the come and see to go and be, right? This equipping, Shane, you were saying, sometimes if it's, hey, let's go hang out by the river, or go grab a donut, that goes almost as well or better than some of the big events at the facility, that whole idea of distributed gathering. And then you're seeing the same thing with parents, right? Like we don't partner with parents. Did I hear you say, just to pick up on something you said earlier in the interview, I want to make sure I heard it correctly. You mentioned eight to 900%. Are you saying that you're seeing parents more engaged when you do those digital events or, or what, what was that, Allison? Yeah. So all, all of our parent labs, so let's pick any hot topic. Um, you know, so we had a series in the fall and sex and how to have the sex conversation. And what we did was we did a little video per face. Here's what you need to be talking about in early childhood, elementary, middle, and high. And we've done the same thing in person and had a couple hundred families, but we did it online and we did watch parties and we ended up having watch parties in five different States, which felt pretty good about. Mm-hmm. And we had over 9,000 views at the end of it. And so like, it just in terms of scalability and like the amount of time we prepared the same amount of content <laughs> as someone yeah. who's communicated at these things for years. I'm like, I would much rather get 9,000 views, even if it's a couple minutes views, than a couple hundred people in a room where we never recorded it or did anything with it. Yeah, so. but even slice that in half. I mean, yeah. 4,500, right? If you want to take the conservative metric. Yes. I mean, any church that would imagine 4,500 parents dialing in for meaningful conversation with their kids. That's pretty cool. Um, Wow. Any final thoughts as we wrap up today? Anything you want to say to church leaders to encourage them? (laughs) Because this is still a season where we need a lot of encouragement and a lot of practical tips. Man, you know, Carrie, as you say, encourage, like even just in my heart and thinking about this conversation this morning, like I think this year in ministry could be the year where a lot of church leaders feel like they want to give up and feel like they want to quit because there's been so much change. Like pivot in our organization became like a four letter word. We're tired of pivoting. (laughs) And so I think I would just say that like, it is, it has been hard. And if I could normalize that and just say that out loud, but in terms of what we're getting to do, like we're still getting to bring hope into communities that don't have hope. Like this world does feel darker than it did 18 months ago. Mm. And I hope that that means that the light of the church can be brighter. And, And I think that like small groups and parents and just fighting to pass on this faith to the next generation, like it's, it has always been the heartbeat of every church, but man, like this season and in this moment, like I just encourage church leaders to not give up because what you're doing and how it's changing us to re-innovate and lay down things that we thought were important to our ministries and pick up new things. Like you can't open your hands and pick up what God has for you if you're not willing to lay down what you've been doing. And so I just get excited and encouraged. And um, I know I've needed encouragement to keep going. And so just that's been my heart this morning is that any church leader that's listening would, would keep going and they would reach out to someone and network and connect because you're not alone. Hmm. I just, that's my heart. <laughs> That's good. So good. Um, I would say um, I, I, my encouragement would be that you don't have to have this all figured out right now because none of us do. 
<laughs> we just don't know. I mean, even as we approach these things, um, I look at the data, I, I think about these things, I process them personally, but I don't, I don't know what the future holds. And I love to, um, I love to live in the future, but this one is a puzzle. None of us have ever led through a moment like this before, but there's something beautiful about that because I think it forces our dependence on God, which is the best place to be. Um, so I, I think, and, and it was really, it was a mutual friend of um, some of ours, Joe Jensen. I got some time with him uh, recently and he challenged me to really lean in and um, lean into my own relationship with God right now to seek him maybe doubly um, than, mm. than what I had been before. And a lot of that is around the idea um, that, that this is the moment, not for us to pull back, not for us to lean into ourselves and try to figure out these puzzles that we've never solved before, but instead to really humble ourselves, to really open ourselves to the Lord and go, God, what do you want to do? And, and I'm just here, like, use me in this, give me thoughts, give me ideas. Like we know things need to be different. Like I have that deep in my heart somewhere. I just don't know exactly what it looks like right now. And I think more than I ever have been in my life up at this point, I'm okay with that because I I think if we don't give up, like Allison said, and we keep moving forward and we keep seeking the Lord, he will build his church. Like the, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, and gates are defensive. Like we're on the offense here. Um, and I think we have to remember that and keep that perspective and seek the Lord. And I really do believe he's going to show us the way through it. Um, and it's going to look different and it's going to look new and it's going to be beautiful. And I hope to get to be a part of that in some small way. So well, good. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, Allison. Yeah. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, Allison. David, any final thoughts as we wrap up? No, I just encourage, I really appreciate those encouraging words and sentiments yeah. from, from you guys. And, um, you know, I think we're all trying to figure out what's next for, for the church, capital C, what is next for local churches. Um, you know, I think the season of innovation uh, is going to produce a lot of long lasting fruit as we sort of realize that some of the things that we thought were so, such sacred pathways were just tactics. And so I, I appreciate mm. hearing from you guys today uh, and thinking about what God might be up to. You know, one of my favorite verses, one of my life verses is Isaiah 43, 19, you know, behold, I'm doing a new thing and now it springs up. And you can almost imagine this next sentence almost as a whisper, you know, do you not perceive it? And uh, so, um, yeah, it's fun to listen in on what you guys are doing and, um, you know, just praying for you guys and, you know, um, want to see the Lord, you know, sort of glorified in this series of change and in this next generation of such high hopes and in what God's trying to do through this next generation. You know, do you not perceive what God wants to do through Generation Z? And mm. uh, such a pr privilege to learn from you guys today. Thank you. Yeah, I'd echo that. Well, uh, thank you so much, Allison. Thank you, Shane. Thanks, David. And thank you for leading. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with a fresh episode. If you're new, please subscribe. And in the meantime, thanks so much for uh, listening, getting the word out and doing what you're doing. We're in your corner and we'll catch you next time on Church Pulse Weekly. Thank you for listening to the Church Pulse Weekly podcast. Join us next week for more insights on navigating constant change in an era of disruption and how to stay connected to the people in your church.